We have the opportunity here to be a part of such a beautiful family. And I love the way that that has been reflected in different ways already today. And I just want to encourage every single one of you um, to, to lean into that, okay, and to dig into that and to look for ways to get connected in even more deeper ways with the people that are sitting around you. You are surrounded by gifts. And um, I want us just to have our eyes open to that, to the wisdom, to the um, spiritual guidance, to the encouragement that is surrounding you right now, not just from what's coming from up here, but that is sitting around you. And uh, we firmly believe that God has gifted every single believer that when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit gifts us and, and, and gives us uh, gifts to use to build up the body of Christ, to build up the church, and to advance the kingdom in the world. And so we're committed to continually finding ways to help people experience, understand, and express those gifts. That's part of what is about to happen uh, right now. So our friend Joshua Paxson, many of you guys know him. Uh, Josh serves and leads in a lot of different ways here in the church. Uh, one of the most prominent ways that he does that is through driving the van. And uh, so some of you are here this morning because Josh picked you up this morning. Josh drove the van this morning and now he's about to preach too. This is great. All right. And uh, so for many of you, Josh has been serving already as a pastor to you by picking you up, by welcoming you in and, and bringing you to church every, every Sunday morning and then, and then taking you back home as well. Uh, some of you, Josh has participated in your baptism. And um, so in so many ways, he's been pastoring and shepherding and leading. And uh, today, this is going to continue as he teaches us from God's word. Josh is, is, yeah, he is a real gift to us. And uh, so I just challenge you to open up your heart, open up your minds, and um, hear the word of God from him today. Let's pray for Josh. Jesus, thank you for this friend. And thank you for this servant of yours who serves out of your heart. Thank you for the gifts of wisdom that you've given him. Um, and in so many ways, he, he's a young man and yet ha has this old kind of wisdom about him. And I pray that you would just draw that out today. And that the word that he speaks to us um, would be your word coming through him in a very real way. Let your spirit give him confidence and courage today, not in himself, but a courage and confidence that comes from you. So your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks. All right. Am I, am I on? Is this? Yeah. I turned it on. It's green. All right. I, I, I feel pretty cool wearing this right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, so Jason was talking earlier. He's got like a head cold going on. Um, and Henry, I've got a son. He's, his, uh, his name's Henry. He's been sick for about a week. And he's getting over it, but I think he gave it to me. So I've got this, this thing going on in my head. Um, and what I've noticed being sick, so when you're, when you're sick sometimes, um, like when Sarah and I first got married, we got, we've been married for almost five years. And, and when we were first married and I got sick, man, she would 
she would rub my feet. She would, she would take care of me. And I think as, as guys, as fellas, we, there's something about us. When we, we feel sick, we just want to be taken care of. Like we just want to curl up on the couch and pretend like the world is coming to an end. Um, but when you have a kid who is also sick, you, you are not a priority anymore. Um, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So there, uh, a couple nights ago, I was, uh, it, was, it was early in the morning. It was like 4 o'clock, and I'm like, like, I feel like I'm coughing up a lung. And uh, so I'm like, you know, coughing and, and just feeling bad. And I get up to go blow my nose or something, and I, I'm coming back, and Sarah says, hey. And I, I'm thinking, all right, she's going to, like, you know, say, what can I do for you? She's like, can you get a cough drop? You are keeping me up. Man! Um, but it, it's all good. It's, um, I don't have a clear segue from that story into the sermon. Um, but So I'm going to be pulling from a couple different verses this morning, uh, mainly from, from the verse in Micah, or, or the, the chapter 5 in Micah that was read earlier by, by Madison and Oz. And we're going to be pulling from a couple other ones. So if you guys have got, got Bibles, uh, you can go. It's in Micah 5. And then we'll be pulling from Matthew chapter 2 as well. Um, so as Matt uh, mentioned earlier, um, we're, we're in the season of Advent. And we've been in the season of Advent for, for several weeks now leading up to Christmas. And Advent is the time in the year when we anticipate Christ's birth. Advent, this is a time of commemoration and declaration, a reminder and a harbinger of what's to come. It is a time when we celebrate God as incarnational, that is, taking the human form of us, his creation, so that we might return to him. And it is this, this incarnational love that is unique to him in all the earth. We as Christians today inhabit a very distinct time in world history. We are on a precipice. We are on a threshold where every step taken requires faith because footing is becoming harder and harder to find. We live in a world uniquely modern, but very similarly broken, very similar, in fact, to the world that Micah inhabited almost 3,000 years ago. So the book of Micah is found in, in the Old Testament in our Bibles. It's located between Jonah and Nahum, who are also prophets. Micah was a minor prophet as compared to someone like Isaiah or Jeremiah who were major prophets. Um, I don't think Micah would be offended by that, by the way. I think he would, he would take that in stride. Um, but Micah's not, he's not discussed a whole lot. He's got a couple of kind of inspirational excerpts that we like to quote sometimes um, about beating swords into plowshares um, and spears into pruning hooks. Um, we like to like post that on Facebook and, and, and talk about peace. Um, but Micah was from a small rural town in the southern kingdom of Judah. So in his time, there was Israel in the north, and Judah was in, in the south. And he lived and prophesied about the same time as Isaiah and Amos, and he preceded Jeremiah by about 30 years. Um, and what was going on in his generation, and, and who he prophesied to and for and about, um, was this, it was this time of, of opulence and wealth in Judah and Israel. He lived in a time where the ruling class ground the workers into debt and dependence and where the religious leaders were crooked and power hungry. Listen to Micah's words. 
Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with inequity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, and its prophets prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? The culture of Israel and Judah was corrupt, crooked, and turned away from the face of God. They were more concerned about choosing their own way than obeying God's laws. They claimed God's name, but they were full of only themselves. The thing was, Micah knew his people very well, and he spoke both directly to his generation and also to the future. In fact, Micah's words spoken to Jerusalem and Samaria around 700 B.C., were passed down from generation to generation until the birth of Christ. Then his words were spoken on the lips of the chief priests when asked by King Herod where the Christ was to be born. This is what Micah said. This is from chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, you who are, little, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from, for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel." whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore we shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now think about it. Isn't that incredible that one man's words spoken to a crooked and corrupt generation 700 years earlier, proved true at the time of Jesus' birth. The epitome of God's incarnation. But really, this is no surprise, because God has been an incarnational God from the very beginning. The whole story of the Bible is about a God who seeks to reveal himself to the world through his chosen people. And it wasn't a surprise to the chief priests in Jesus' time either because they knew the law and the prophets. So not only did they know, but they were expecting. They were both looking back and looking forward at the same time. This is how Matthew talks about it in chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east They came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. God is incarnational. Micah said it then, and we see it now. So, 
What does that mean for us today? What does an incarnational God mean for us today as Christians living in modern America? Well, let's start with a snapshot, kind of a, a cultural analysis uh, of, a, of our current climate by, by the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor. Taylor has written extensively on this uh, for the past 50 years. Taylor says this, A way of putting our present condition of our secular age is to say that many people are happy living for the goals which are purely imminent. They live in a way that, that takes no account of the transcendent. Now what Taylor's saying is that our reality and aspirations are so focused on what is within our realm of control that we lose sight of God's incarnational transcendent love. Our heads are down, our posture is turned within ourselves. And we leave no room for the mystery of God's intervention in our lives. We focus more on ourselves as individuals and finding and proclaiming our own identity, but we forget that we already have one, that we were created with one. So, if our current cultural landscape is characterized by looking inward, by caving in on ourselves, by defining ourselves as individuals first, and by finding happiness only from the things of this world, what does that mean as Christians? How does God's love meet us here now? Well, God's love is incarnational. I've said that a couple of times, and we've seen that through Micah and through the coming of Christ. The Bible is a story of God making himself known. In regard to, to Taylor's evaluation of our current cultural imaginary, I will suggest this as a response through the words of Wendell Berry. Berry says this. He says, We set our friends free by our love for them with the implied restraints of faithfulness or loyalty. And this suggests that our identity is located not in the impulse of selfhood, but in deliberately maintained connections. I'm going to say that one more time. This suggests that our identity is located not in the impulse of selfhood, but in deliberately maintained connections. This is incarnational love. Deliberately maintaining connections. This is practical and aspirational. Perhaps this gives us some fruitful insight into how, we live as a, how to live as a Christian in our modern culture. Because to be incarnational is to live in community with each other. The antithesis of self-proclaimed identity and purpose is participating in the shared story of each other's lives. It is in the shared agonies, the shared losses and joys and entanglements. Deliberately maintaining connections is living incarnationally. So I'm going I'm to share a story about when Sarah and I were, were just married. We, were, we got married up in the mountains of North Carolina, and, and we were married. I was working as a carpenter's assistant, building houses. Um, and I worked with a couple of different guys, but, but I was mainly working with a, another master carpenter named Paul Braswell, or as he called himself, Braswell. Um, and, and Braswell... Um, I learned a lot from him, both good and bad, and, and we would ride to work together. He had this big jacked-up truck, 
um, that, that you could hear from two miles away. And he always smoked in the truck, and so I always came home smelling like smoke, and Sarah would always ask me, have you been smoking? I said, yes. Um, <laughs> no, I, I didn't say that. Um, Braswell also believed in Bigfoot. Um, now, are there any Bigfoot fans out there? Sasquatch? No? I, I believe Bigfoot exists, actually. Um, I believe there's actually... A, well, that's an aside. That's another sermon. Um, so I, I, my day-to-day was work. I work with Braswell. Um, but the, the owner of the company, his name was Paul also. His name was Paul Lehman. Um, and I actually developed a, a really good relationship with him. Um, and because I was newly married, he... When you, when you first get married, everybody gives you all kinds of advice, like whether you want it or not. Um, but he gave me advice um, that has, has really stuck with me. He gave me some very good advice. Um, he said, being married is less about marrying the right person, but about being the right person to whom you are married. And I think that's the same for us as a community. Living incarnationally is less about who we are and more about who each other needs us to be. Let me give you uh, an example of how I've seen this, this kind of incarnational love in my life recently. So a few weeks ago, Sarah was having a, a long, hard day with Henry. Henry's been sick for, for three or four days, and I was working, working late, and so she was bearing the brunt of, of just caring for a sick child, which is very taxing. Um, and so in desperation, she, she sent out a kind of like a, a cry for help, asking for, for prayer from a couple of, of friends. And, and one friend wrote back and said, bring him over so I can watch him. You go rest. Now, that's not to diminish the significance of prayer. And it may seem like a small gesture, but life is made up of small gestures. Um, and, and in this example of, of incarnational love, um, this made a big difference um, because this is an example of, of opening yourself up instead of caving in. This is an example of, of giving yourself away um, instead of promoting yourself. And the thing is, there's lots of other examples here every day. That's one thing I've noticed uh, one thing I've noticed is that deliberately maintaining relationships is a process over time. It doesn't just happen all at once or in a single word or a single instance. I see that here in a web of relationships in this church. It's, it is very beautiful. But I want to challenge us just a little bit. When I, when I talk about incarnational love, when I, when I say incarnational, I'm not, I'm not talking about like an anonymous group hug or like an, an encouraging Facebook post, or, or, or just asking how someone's doing in between services when, when you bump shoulders with them. I'm not, I'm not even really talking about trying to do the right thing or, or trying to buy the right gift for your friend or your, your kid or your spouse. Um, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is the overflow of the heart. And there, there's one thing I, I really want to clarify here um, about incarnational love and about deliberately maintaining connections. Because 
especially in, in like the Chapel Hill Carborough area, there's a lot of people preaching community. There's a lot of people saying, love your neighbor. Um, it, it's kind of a, a, a cultural hot spot for that. Um, but what's significant is that incarnational love starts with being born again in Jesus Christ. That, that is the difference. That, is, that has to be the center. We are being Christ to each other. We are not just trying to be better people or looking for the common good. It's about dying to yourself first and being made new in Christ. Because if this hasn't happened in you, then there are no roots. This is the foundation from which incarnational love flows. So, what does this look like in your life? How can you die to yourself to love those that are around you? How is your heart postured in what you are doing or what you're choosing not to do? What aspirations or goals are you striving for that have nothing to do with Jesus? If your goals and aspirations are only of this world, then you need new goals and aspirations. So I'm going to close with this. In this Advent season, as Christmas is coming upon us, let's reflect on God's incarnational love for us, a God who reveals himself to us, who became like us that we might better know him. I remember Micah and his prophecy almost 3,000 years ago. Micah's words stood against the crooked culture of his generation and, and prophesied the coming of Jesus. Let us be truth bearers in our generation like Micah, not as self-directed purveyors of our own glory, but as brothers and as sisters walking with each other to and for the glory of God. Amen. Yeah.
Thank you.